0: Chapter 51, Part 3 of the History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dick Durrett. Chapter 51 Conquests. By the Arabs Part three. One of the fifteen provinces of Syria, the cultivated lands to the eastward of the Jordan, had been decorated by Roman vanity with the name of Arabia, and the first arms of the Saracens were justified by the semblance of a national right. The country was enriched by the various benefits of trade. By the vigilance of the emperors, it was covered with a line of forts, and the populous cities of Jerasa, Philadelphia, and Bosra, were secure, at least from a surprise, by the solid structure of their walls. The last of these cities was the 18th station from Medina. The road was familiar to the caravans of Hejaz and Iraq, who annually visited this plenteous market of the province and the desert. The perpetual jealousy of the Arabs had trained the inhabitants to arms, and 12,000 horses could sally from the gates of Bostra, an appellation which signifies in the Syriac language a strong tower of defense. Encouraged by their first success against the open towns and flying parties of the borders, a detachment of 4,000 Muslims presumed to summon and attack the fortress of Basra. They were oppressed by the numbers of the Syrians. They were saved by the presence of Khalid with 1,500 horses. He blamed the enterprise restored the battle, and rescued his friend, the venerable Sergibel, who had vainly invoked the unity of God and the promises of the Apostle. After a short repose, the Moslems performed their ablutions with sand instead of water, and a morning prayer was recited by Khaled before they mounted on horseback. Confident in their strength, the people of Bosra threw open their gates, drew their forces into the plain, and swore to die in the defense of their religion. But a religion of peace was incapable of withstanding the fanatic cry of Fight, Fight, Paradise, Paradise, that re echoed in the ranks of the Saracens, and the uproar of the town, the ringing of the bells, and the exclamations of the priests and monks increased the dismay and disorder of the Christians. With the loss of 230 men, the Arabs remained masters of the field, and the ramparts of Basra, in expectation of human or divine aid, were crowded with holy crosses and consecrated banners. The governor, Romanus, had recommended an early submission. Despised by the people and degraded from his office, he still retained the desire and opportunity of revenge. In a nocturnal interview, he informed the enemy of a subterraneous passage from his house under the wall of the city, the son of the Caliph, with a hundred volunteers, were committed to the faith of this new ally and their successful intrepidity gave an easy entrance to their companions. After Caled had imposed the terms of servitude and tribute, the apostate or convert avowed in the assembly of the people his meritorious treason. I renounce your society, said Romanus, both in this world and the world to come. And I deny him that was crucified, and whosoever worships him. And I choose God for my Lord, Islam for my faith, Mecca for my temple, the Moslems for my brethren, and Mohammed for my prophet, who was sent to lead us into the right way and to exalt the true religion in spite of those who join partners with God. The conquest of Basra, four days' journey from Damascus, encouraged the Arabs to besiege the ancient capital of Syria. At some distance from the walls, they encamped among the groves and fountains of that delicious territory, and the usual option of the Mohammedan faith of tribute or of war was proposed to the resolute citizens who had been lately strengthened by a reinforcement of 5,000 Greeks. In the decline, as in the infancy, of the military art, a hostile defiance was frequently offered and accepted by the generals themselves. Many a lance was shivered in the plain of Damascus, and the personal prowess of Khaled, was signalized in the first sally of the besieged. After an obstinate combat, he had overthrown and made prisoner one of the Christian leaders, a stout and worthy antagonist. He instantly mounted a fresh horse, the gift of the governor of Palmyra, and pushed forward to the front of the battle. Repose yourself for a moment, said his friend Derar, and permit me to supply your place. You are fatigued with fighting with this dog. Oh dear, replied the indefatigable Saracen, we shall rest in the world to come. He that labors today shall rest tomorrow. With the same unabated ardor, Caled answered, encountered, and vanquished a second champion, and the heads of his two captives, who refused to abandon their religion, were indignantly hurled into the midst of the city. The event of some general and partial actions reduced the Damascenes to a closer defense. But a messenger, whom they dropped from the walls, returned with a promise of speedy and powerful succor, and their tumultuous joy conveyed the intelligence to the camp of the Arabs. After some debate it was resolved by the generals to raise or rather to suspend the siege of Damascus till they had given battle to the forces of the Emperor. In the retreat, Khalid would have chosen the more perilous station of the rear guard. He modestly yielded to the wishes of Abu Obedar, but in the hour of danger he flew to the rescue of his companion who was rudely pressed by a sally of 6,000 horses and 10,000 foot, and few among the Christians could relate at Damascus the circumstances of their defeat. The importance of the contest required the junction of the Saracens, who were dispersed on the frontiers of Syria and Palestine, and I shall transcribe one of the circular mandates which was addressed to Amru, the future conqueror of Egypt, in the name of the most merciful God, from Caled to Amru, health and happiness, know that thy brethren, the moslems, design to march to Asnadin, where there is an army of seventy thousand Greeks who purpose to come against us that they may extinguish the light of God with their mouths, but God persevereth, his light in spite of the infidels. As soon, therefore, as this letter of mine shall be delivered to thy hands, come with those that are with thee to Aiznadin, where thou shalt find us, if it please, the Most High God. The summons was cheerfully obeyed, and the 45,000 Moslems who met on the same day on the same spot ascribed to the blessing of Providence the effects of their activity and zeal. About four years after the triumph of the Persian War, the repose of Heraclius and the Empire was again disturbed by a new enemy, the power of whose religion was more strongly felt than it was clearly understood by the Christians of the East in his palace of constantinople or antioch he was awakened by the invasion of syria the loss of basra and the danger of damascus an army of seventy thousand veterans or new levies was assembled at hems and emissa under the command of his general Wurden, and these troops consisting chiefly of cavalry might be indifferently styled either Syrians or Greeks or Romans, Syrians from the place of their birth or warfare, Greeks from the religion and language of their sovereign, and Romans from the proud appellation which was still profaned by the successors of Constantine. On the plain of Asnaden, as Werdon rode on a white mule decorated with gold chains and surrounded With ensigns and standards, he was surprised by the near approach of a fierce and naked warrior who had undertaken to view the state of the enemy. The adventurous valor of Dera was inspired and has perhaps been adorned by the enthusiasm of his age and country. The hatred of the Christians, the love of spoil, and a contempt of danger were the ruling passions of the audacious Saracen, and the prospect of instant death could never shake his religious confidence or ruffle the calmness of his resolution, or even suspend the frank and martial pleasantry of his humor. In the most hopeless enterprises, he was bold and prudent and fortunate, after innumerable hazards After being thrice a prisoner in the hands of the infidels, he still survived to relate the achievements and to enjoy the rewards of the Syrian conquest. On this occasion, his single lance maintained a flying fight against 30 Romans who were detached by Worden and after killing or unhorsing 17 of their number, Derar returned in safety to his applauding brethren. When his rashness was mildly censured by the general, he excused himself with the simplicity of a soldier. Nay, said Derar, I did not begin first, but they came out to take me, and I was afraid that God should see me turn my back, and indeed I fought in good earnest, and without doubt God assisted me against them. And had I not been apprehensive of disobeying your orders... I should not have come away as I did and I perceive already that they will fall into our hands. In the presence of both armies a venerable Greek advanced from the ranks with a liberal offer of peace and the departure of the Saracens would have been purchased by a gift to each soldier of a turban, a robe and a piece of gold, ten robes and a hundred pieces to their leader, one hundred robes and a thousand pieces to the Caliph. A smile of indignation expressed the refusal of Caled. Ye Christian dogs, you know your option, the Koran, the tribute, or the sword. We are a people whose delight is in war rather than in peace, and we despise your pitiful arms since we shall be speedily masters of your wealth, your families, and your persons. Notwithstanding this apparent disdain, he was deeply conscious of the public danger those who had been in Persia and had seen the armies of Kosros confessed that they never beheld a more formidable array. From the superiority of the enemy, the artful Saracen derived a fresh incentive of courage. You, "'You see before you,' said he, "'the united force of the Romans.' you cannot hope to escape, but you may conquer Syria in a single day. The event depends on your discipline and patience. Reserve yourselves till the evening. It was in evening that the Prophet was accustomed to vanquish. During two successive engagements, his temperate firmness sustained the darts of the enemy and the murmurs of his troops. At length, when the spirits and quivers of the adverse line were almost exhausted, Caleb gave the signal of onset and victory. The remains of the imperial army fled to Antioch, or Caesarea, or Damascus, and the death of 470 Moslems was com- compensated by the opinion that they had sent to hell above 50,000 of the infidels, the spoil was inestimable, many banners and crosses of gold and silver, precious stones, silver and gold change, and innumerable suits of the richest armor and apparel. The general distribution was postponed till Damascus should be taken, but the seasonable supply of arms became the instrument of new victories. The glorious intelligence was transmitted to the throne of the Caliph, and the Arabian tribes, the coldest or most hostile to the Prophet's mission, were eager and importunate to share the harvest of Syria. The sad tidings were carried to Damascus by the speed of grief and terror, and the inhabitants beheld from their walls the return of the heroes of Aiznadin. Amrul led the van at the head of 9,000 horse, the bands of the Saracens succeeded each other in formidable review, and the rear was closed by Caled in person with a standard of the Black Eagle. To the activity of Dera he entrusted the commission of patrolling around the city with two thousand horse, of scouring the plain, and of intercepting all succor or intelligence. The rest of the Arabian chiefs were fixed in their respective stations before the seven gates of Damascus, and the siege was renewed with fresh vigor and confidence. The art, the labor, and the military engines of the Greeks and Romans are seldom to be found in the simple, though successful, operations of the Saracens. It was sufficient for them to invest a city with arms rather than with trenches, to repel the allies of the besieged, to attempt a stratagem or an assault, or to expect the progress of famine and discontent. Damascus would have acquiesced in the trial of Asnadin as a final and peremptory sentence between the emperor and the caliph. Her courage was rekindled by the example and authority of Thomas, a noble Greek, illustrious in a private condition with the alliance of Heraclius. The tumult and illumination of the night proclaimed the design of the morning sally, and the Christian hero, who affected to despise the enthusiasm of the Arabs, employed the resource of a singular superstition. At the principal gate, in the sight of both armies, a lofty crucifix was erected. The bishop, with his clergy, accompanied the march and laid the volume of the New Testament before the image of Jesus, and the contending parties were scandalized or edified by a prayer that the Son of God would defend His servants and vindicate His truth. The battle raged with incessant fury, and the dexterity of Thomas and an incomparable archer was fatal to the boldest Saracens till their death was revenged by a female heroine. The wife of Aban, who had followed him to the holy war, embraced her expiring husband. Happy, said she, happy art thou, my dear, thou art gone to thy Lord, who first joined us together and then parted us asunder. I will revenge thy death and endeavor to the utmost of my power to come to the place where thou art, because I love thee. Henceforth shall no man ever touch me more, for I have dedicated myself to the service of God. Without a groan, without a tear, she washed the corpse of her husband and buried him with the usual rites then grasping the manly weapons which in her native land she was accustomed to wield the intrepid widow of aban sought the place where his murderer fought in the thickest of the battle her first arrow pierced the hand of his standard bearer her second wounded thomas in the eye and the fainting christians no longer beheld their ensign or their leader Yet the generous champion of Damascus refused to withdraw to his palace. His wound was dressed on the rampart. The fight was continued till the evening, and the Syrians rested on their arms. In the silence of the night, the signal was given by a stroke on the great bell. The gates were thrown open, and each gate discharged an impetuous column on the sleeping camp of the Saracens. Caled was the first in arms, at the head of four hundred horse he flew to the post of danger, and the tears trickled down his iron cheeks as he uttered a fervent, a fervent ejaculation, O oh God, who never sleepest, look upon thy servants, and do not deliver them into the hands of their enemies. The valour and victory of Thomas were arrested by the presence of the sword of God, with a knowledge of the peril the Muslims recovered their ranks and charged the assailants in the flank and rear. After the loss of thousands, the Christian general retreated with a sigh of despair and the pursuit of the Saracens was checked by the military engines of the rampart. After a siege of 70 days, the patience and perhaps the provisions of the Damascenes were exhausted and the bravest of their chiefs submitted to the hard dictates of necessity. In the occurrences of peace and war, they had been taught to dread the fierceness of Caled and to revere the mild virtues of Abu Obida. At the hour of midnight, one hundred chosen deputies of the clergy and people were introduced to the tent of that venerable commander. He received and dismissed them with courtesy. They returned with a written agreement on the faith of a companion of Mohammed that all hostilities should cease, that the voluntary immigrants might depart in safety with as much as they could carry of their effects, and that the tributary subjects of the caliph should enjoy their lands and houses with the use and possession of seven churches. On these terms, the most respectable hostages and the gate nearest to his camp were delivered into his hands. His soldiers imitated the moderation of their chief, and he enjoyed the submissive gratitude of a people whom he had rescued from destruction. But the success of the treaty had relaxed their vigilance, and in the same moment the opposite quarter of the city was betrayed and taken by assault. A party of a hundred Arabs had opened the eastern gate to a more inexorable foe, "'No quarter,' cried the rapacious and sanguinary Caled. "'no quarter to the enemies of the Lord.' "'His trumpets sounded, and a torrent of Christian blood "'was poured down the streets of Damascus.' "'When he reached the church of St. Mary, "'he was astonished and provoked "'by the peaceful aspect of his companions. "'Their swords were in the scabbard, "'and they were surrounded by a multitude of priests and monks. "'Abu Obida saluted the general.' God, said he, has delivered the city into my hands by way of surrender and has saved the believers the trouble of fighting. And am I not, replied the indignant Caled, am I not the lieutenant of the commander of the faithful? Have I not taken the city by storm? The unbelievers shall perish by the sword. Fall on. The hungry and cruel Arabs would have obeyed the welcome command and Damascus was lost, if the benevolence of Abu Obadiah had not been supported by decent and dignified firmness, Throwing himself between the trembling citizens and the most eager of the barbarians, he adjured them, by the holy name of God, to respect his promise to suspend their fury and to wait the determination of their chiefs. The chiefs retired into the church of St. Mary, and after a vehement debate, Caled submitted in some measure to the, tre- to the reason and authority of his colleague, who urged the sanctity of a covenant, the advantage as well as the honor which the Moslems would derive from the punctual performance of their word, and the obstinate resistance which they must encounter from the distrust and despair of the rest of the Syrian cities. It was agreed that the sword should be sheathed that the part of Damascus which had surrendered to Abba Obadiah should be immediately entitled to the benefit of his capitulation and that the final decision should be referred to the justice and wisdom of the Caliph. A large majority of the people accepted the terms of toleration and tribute and Damascus Damascus is still peopled by 20,000 Christians. But the valiant Thomas and the free-born patriots who had fought under his banner embraced the alternative of poverty and exile. In the adjacent meadow a numerous encampment was formed of priests and laymen, of soldiers and citizens, of women and children. They collected with haste and terror their most precious movables, and abandoned with loud lamentations or silent anguish their native homes and the pleasant banks of the Farpar. The inflexible soul of Caled was not touched by the spectacle of their distress. He disputed with the Damascenes the property of a magazine of corn, endeavored to exclude the garrison from the benefit of the treaty, consented with a reluctance that each of the fugitives should arm himself with a sword or a lance or a bow, and sternly declared that after a respite of three days they might be pursued and treated as the enemies of the Moslems. The passion of a Syrian youth completed the ruin of the exiles of Damascus. A nobleman of the city, of the name of Jonas, was betrothed to a wealthy maiden, but her parents delayed the consummation of his nuptials, and their daughter was persuaded to escape with the man whom she had chosen. They corrupted the nightly watchman of the gate Kaisan. The lover who led the way was encompassed by a squadron of Arabs, but his exclamation in the Greek tongue, the bird is taken, admonished his mistress to hasten her return. In the presence of Caled and of death, the unfortunate Jonas professed his belief in one god and his apostle Mohammed and continued till the season of his martyrdom to discharge the duties of a brave and sincere Mussulman. When the city was taken, he flew to the monastery where Eudocia had taken refuge, but the lover was forgotten. The apostate was scorned. She preferred a religion to her country and the justice of Caled, though deaf to mercy, refused to detain by force a male or female inhabitant of Damascus. Four days was the general confined to the city by the obligation of the treaty and the urgent cares of his new conquest. His appetite for blood and rapine would have been extinguished by the hopeless computation of time and distance, but he listened to the importunities of Jonas, who assured him that the weary fugitives might yet be overtaken. At the head of 4,000 horse in the disguise of Christian Arabs, Caled undertook the pursuit. They halted only for the moments of prayer, and their guide had a perfect knowledge of the country. For a long way, the footsteps of the Damascenes were plain and conspicuous. They vanished on a sudden, but the Saracens were comforted, by the assurance that the caravan had turned aside into the mountains and must speedily fall into their hands. In traversing the ridges of the Libanus, they endured intolerable hardships, and the sinking spirits of the veteran fanatics were supported and cheered by the unconquerable ardour of a lover. From a peasant of the country, they were informed that the Emperor had sent orders to the colony of exiles to pursue without delay the road of the sea coast and of Constantinople, apprehensive, perhaps, that the soldiers and people of Antioch might be discouraged by the sight and the story of their sufferings. The Saracens were conducted through the territories of Gabala and Laodicea at a cautious distance from the walls of the cities. The rain was incessant, the night was dark, a single mountain separated them from the Roman army, and Caleb, ever anxious for the safety of his brethren, whispered an ominous dream in the ear of his companion. With the dawn of day, the prospect again cleared, and they saw before them in a pleasant valley the tents of Damascus. After a short interval of repose and prayer, Caled divided his cavalry into four squadrons, committing the first to his faithful Deirah and reserving the last for himself. They successively rushed on the promiscuous multitude, insufficiently provided with arms, and already vanquished by sorrow and fatigue. Except a captive who was pardoned and dismissed, the Arabs enjoyed the satisfaction of believing that not a Christian of either sex escaped the edge of their symmetries. The gold and silver of Damascus were scattered over the camp and a royal wardrobe of three hundred load of silk might clothe an army of naked barbarians. In the tumult of the battle, Jonas sought and found the object of his pursuit, but her resentment was inflamed by the last act of his perfidy, and as Eudocia struggled in his hateful embraces, she struck a dagger to her heart. Another female, the widow of Thomas, and the real or supposed daughter of Heraclius, was spared and released without a ransom. But the generosity of Caled was the effect of his contempt, and the haughty Saracen insulted by a message of defiance the throne of the Caesars. Caled had penetrated above a hundred and fifty miles into the heart of the Roman province, He returned to Damascus with the same secrecy and speed. On the accession of Omar, the sword of God was removed from the command, but the Caliph, who blamed the rashness, was compelled to applaud the vigor and conduct of the Enterprise. End of chapter 51, part 3. Recording by Dick Duret, Manchester, New Hampshire, USA.